ผู้รับรู้ access or what does have access to Islam in a dilemma? Put them in a state where they are seeking something, something to provide for themselves a guideline to live by, a means to. Control society in such a way that the natural human instincts are manifest and expressed in ways which are beneficial for mankind, and not in ways which are destructive. When people look around, those who have not come in contact with Islam. For those who grew up in Muslim families, but many didn't know what Islam was. When they look around today at what is offered, what is available, if they are seeking, they must come face to face with the reality that Islam alone offers the solution. For men, for the problems that men face today, for the problems that they will face in the future, and that is because Islam has certain characteristics which modern men respect. If he or she respects themselves, their own intellect, and seeks. Information objectively, they will find when they look into Islam that Islam has a belief in God which is unique, which distinguishes itself from all of the other so-called religions in various parts of the world today. It is the only religion in which God is worshipped without any intermediary, without any aid, without any partner. God is worshipped by Himself alone. There are no images. There is no chance for idolatry. Idolatry. Which may be obvious, as in the case of Hindus, Buddhists, etc., who have idols that they bow down to. All idolatry in the case of Christians, whether they have a cross and an image on it, or whether they merely accept that Jesus was God. This is idolatry because God has become a man. Only in Islam, God is not represented. No images, no intermediaries. We do not worship God through anyone, any man or angel or spirit or anything. This is unique to Islam. 
And this, any person who is seeking the truth will have to recognize as ultimately being the truth. Modern man knows, any educated man knows that idolatry representing the creation, the creator through his creation has got to be false. This is why so many people, for example in India, people who are educated, so many of them are leaving the beliefs of Hinduism. The average Hindu has been educated in Sikhism. He's a Hindu by culture. But the idols, etc., maybe bowed to them when he was young or whatever. But today, there's no way that he can really accept it. Similarly, so many of Christians, when you talk to them, though they have been raised with the idea that Jesus is God, inside themselves, they know, no, man cannot be God. So, ultimately, if a person is seeking the truth, then it must lead them to Islam, because it's only in Islam where those things which they have already concluded for themselves are fulfilled. So what you find in Islam is rationality. Islam appeals to the intellect. Why? Because the intellect is created by God. Allah created the intellect in order for man to be able to distinguish between right and wrong. Allah has suggested that people are born in a variety of different circumstances. Whether they're Hindu families, Christian, Buddhist, Muslim families, etc. This is not by our choice. Now, if the way to God is only one way, and God is the one who destined that we are born a Hindu, for him to put us in hell for being a Hindu would be unjust. Unless he has given us a means to find out the truth. And that, in fact, he has. He has given us a mind. He has given us an intellect to be able to recognize right and wrong. As the Lord said, that he has inspired in the heart, soul of everyone, a consciousness of good and evil. So that intellect, that consciousness which Allah has given each and every one, enables the human being to distinguish between false channels of worship and what in fact is correct. And Allah doesn't leave the intellect by itself. His mercy and His grace is such that He shows the human being science in the horizon and even within themselves. Their science that Allah shows each and every human being that whatever false worship they are involved in is in fact false. So it is only for their intellect to see what Allah shows them and then they can see, continue on. However, what happens in many cases is that the emotions take over when a person's intellect guides them to the truth and then they have to deal with the consequences 
Their emotions take over. They don't want to go against family, society. They don't want to be the odd person, the one who is looked at as an outcast, a renegade. For that, for fear of rejection by society, then they put aside what their intellect has shown them and carry on with whatever their culture has raised them. So, when we look in Islam, the various principles that are embodied in Islam, we find that they're all very reasonable, very rational, and the good in them is obvious. The vast majority of what we do in Islam, the good in it is very obvious. What Islam prohibits is not things that we can't grasp the harm in. By God's grace and mercy, He has only prohibited things which are in fact harmful to us. And for the vast majority of these things, the harm is very obvious. And He's thinking first recognizes the harm. So what we see in Islam is that the system of the guidelines that are there to develop a human being, all of them are very rational and reasonable. This is why many people today, those who have been exposed to education, are now turning to Islam in larger and larger numbers. Furthermore, what we find in Islam is moral guidance which follows stable principles. The principles of moral guidance in Islam are not vague or general, that are modifiable every 50 years, every 20 years. As we find happening with laws and society and the beliefs in other religions, we find them modifying themselves to the current opinions and feelings of the masses of the people. So, what we find in Islam is a system of principles, moral principles, which stands the test of time. There are no differences between those principles that they were brought 1400 years ago by Prophet Muhammad, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, or those principles that brought by Prophet Jesus some 800 years or 700 years prior to that, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, or Prophet Moses, or those before. The principles of righteousness, good moral character, are timeless. We find also in Islam an attitude of moderation, a balance between the extremes. The mandate system swing from one extreme to the other, from capitalism to communism, from asceticism to craft materialism, from faith alone, as in Christianity, to good deeds alone, as in Hinduism. All of the various systems because they are contrived by men, they are of necessity preferring 
side over another. And so you will always find people in turmoil. People trying to promote their views or the views of their class or their tribe or their segment of society over others. Whereas Islam represents the mean, that middle path. Where emotions are not destroyed, our nature is not changed, but it is modified and guided. As the brother said, our nature is the one to possess. Capitalism gives us a freedom to possess things without restriction. Communism takes away that freedom to possess. Islam recognizes the nature of man to want to possess, but at the same time, it puts certain limitations on how man possesses. That where he seeks to monopolize commodities which are needed, desperately needed by society, that the government will step in and take that away from him. Will not be allowed to harm the society by his desire to possess. What we find also in Islam is that there is great importance given to the family, the poor of society. That poor which is being destroyed today in all of Western societies, we see the family crumbling. We see a lot of respect between children and parents. We see so much child abuse, etc. In Islam, obedience and respect for parents is an act of worship. It's enshrined in Islam. The parents, the elders, are honored. And children, the younger, are required to respect and honor them. Also, parents are required to raise their children in accordance to very clear guidelines, providing for them moral, social principles taken from Islam, not of their own invention. These principles raise the children in such a way that they maintain their respect for their parents. And furthermore, the respect for elders in the society and respect for themselves. Marriage in Islam is emphasized, encouraged. All young people, as the Prophet said, Ya Mahashar al-Shabaab, when it's the Bahamid Kul, and Ba'afriyat al-Zawaj, whoever amongst you, all young people who have the means should get married. This is the instruction of the Prophet. May God peace and blessings be upon him. And by that encouragement, naturally, relationships outside of marriage are discouraged. The diseases and harm which come from extramarital affairs, etc., are avoided in the Muslim society. We also see in the case of marriage, that parental involvement is a requirement in the case of women and is encouraged in the case of men. 
to something which may be somewhat displeasing to young people of this age. However, that parental involvement is what protects Muslim families. Those who are married are married protecting from their parents. Because in Islam, marriage is not just a relationship between a man and a woman, but a relationship between two families. Two families are coming together. So because two families are coming together, then the parents have a role. They have a role to play. And the children respect the role of their parents. And as such, the union has the support of two families behind it. That kind of support is very difficult for it to be broken. But when it's just a man and a woman on their own, the pressure can easily pressure society, uh, emotion, etc. can easily cause such marriages to break up, which is what we're finding in Western society today, where divorce has reached 50% and more in a number of these societies. And as such, you find families are being raised, now you have a family structure, which they call a single parent family, where one man is raising children, one woman is raising children, and this has become an accepted norm. We also find, with regard to the family guidelines, that Islam encourages and enforces modesty in dress. That Islam considers that dress primarily is for the covering of the private. Secondarily, it is for protection from the elements. And thirdly, it is for purification. This approach has been turned upside down in modern society. Today, the purpose of dress is not to cover the privacy, it is to expose it as much as possible. It's not to protect from the elements, because why would then a woman wear a mini skirt in the midst of winter? So, we see that the, the whole view in terms of dress is one which promotes sexual promiscuity in society. And as a result, you find rape is on the rise. Every year, thousands and hundreds of thousands of cases are reported. Women are suffering. Yet, the fashion still continues to promote the female body, the female and the sex object used to sell products. And women, because of the acceptance of the women's liberation movement, they look at the Muslim women all covered up as being oppressed. They don't realize that that covering up is for their benefit. They look at it in the form of oppression. Their whole sense of sensibility, their own consciousness of what is causing this molestation of the job harassment of women in whatever job they find themselves, whether they're lawyers, doctors, or whether they're 
maids or nurses, they find themselves in all walks of life being harassed. But they just can't seem to connect that this harassment is related to dress. Islam addresses this issue right from the very beginning. It promotes the separation of sexes for the protection against of women in society. This is misinterpreted as again oppression. However, when we look at the societies that are implementing separation, that have recognized their responsibilities to education, etc., we don't find the women oppressed, but we find women able to express themselves in a way which they're not able to do in mixed society. Because whenever men and women get together in classes or conferences such as this, etc., and both are trying to express their views, you will find that the men will dominate because of certain nature which Allah has created them with, they tend to dominate and shout down the women. The women have to resort to very negative behavior in order to be heard. Whereas Islam encourages the women to be amongst themselves where they, their voice can be heard very easily. They don't have to be trying to compete with or coping with the male uh, ego or male presence. And also, the natural promiscuity which tends to be a product of free mixing Islamic or Muslim society, when it applies the principles of Islam, it's safe for us. We also find with regard to importance of family that there is a prohibition, a very strong prohibition in Islam on adultery, fornication, and homosexuality. The punishments in Islam are very severe. Death for adultery and homosexuality. And a hundred public lashes for those who are involved with fornication. Very harsh punishments. However, these punishments are really for their deterrent value. How many people have been executed in the history of Islam in recent times for adultery? Adultery, for the law to be applied, it requires four witnesses. Any person who would commit the sexual act in public so that four people can witness them, they deserve to be killed. However, when a person knows that this is a potential punishment, it causes them to think. Of course, there will always be people, no matter what, who are going to break the law. And naturally, Islam does not claim to create a society of angels. However, the principles that are there protect the society from the abuses of the natural instincts. We also find that within the principles of family, that there is care for the aged within the family. 
that there are no old people's homes in Muslim society. The old people are respected. Children look at it as their duty to look after their family. They don't look at the parents as the burden. You know, they want to try to get off their backs as soon as they can. They come in an old person's home or, you know, in a nursing home or whatever. This is not the approach. The Islamic approach is that the parents are looked after just as they looked after us when we were incapable of looking after ourselves. We find amongst the characteristics of Islam that there is a prohibition of all of the harmful practices and foods and drinks like alcohol, drugs, gambling, which protects against the society from the excesses that we are going through today. The Prophet let me describe intoxicants, alcohol, drugs as Ummul Khabai, the mother of evil and corruption. And surely we are witnessing that today, where drugs and alcohol, etc., has driven so much of the society into the destruction of so many people's lives, breaking into homes, all the various crimes that we're experiencing as drugs and alcohol increase in their presence in society, we see an increase in the breakup of families, we see an increase in the destruction of human life. And finally, among the principles of Islam which is very attractive to people who are thinking, is the principle of racial harmony. Racial harmony, which is addressed in the teachings in the Quran itself, where Allah describes man as being created from a male and female, and made into tribes and nations in order that they may know each other, not that they despise each other, but that Allah clarifies the best of people are those who fear Allah the most. This is the criterion. This is what distinguishes good among people and evil or bad. So from the very beginning of Islam in the final form, 1400 years ago, we find the principles of racial harmony that people are not judged by the color of their skin or the quality of their hair, their eyes, etc., but are judged according to piety and find this principle firmly entrenched from the very beginning of Islam. When we look at the world today, we see that this issue of racial harmony plays a very destructive role from the period of colonialism when European powers forced itself upon the rest of the world so-called colored peoples of the world, where racialism became institutionalized in places like the United States and South Africa, and continues to be practiced in much of the Western countries, with, you know, again, their minorities, the minorities that have come from the so-called very world countries. We find neo-Nazism on the rise, and, you know, all these various uh, racialist, nationalistic groups arising 
You can change the laws externally, but the hearts of the people, if they're not changed, this will never be eradicated, or never be pushed down to such a level that it doesn't play a destructive and, and corruptive role in society. Today we find a resurgence of Islam. A resurgence wherein Muslim movements are arising in various parts of the Muslim world. Where Muslims seek to rule themselves again in accordance with the principles of Islam. And at the same time, we find a rise in Islam in the West, in the countries, the colonial powers that sought to subjugate Muslim peoples and to eradicate Islam in the past. This has been a product, to some degree, of the new intellectual leadership of Western-educated Muslims, those who came from Muslim land and were educated in the West, and came to know about Islam and understand their responsibility of Islam after they were threatened in living in these societies. They took this new understanding back to their country and a movement began. They also affected some of the people in the Western society and the process of conversion of Westerners to Islam began. We also find that the media, which has played a very negative role against Islam over the past century, is now being used by Muslim movement to educate Muslims. Islamic newspapers, magazines, tapes, lectures, videos, etc. are increasing and educating as such the Muslim communities both here and back in the countries where Muslims are in majority or represent minority uh, communities. However, there are some negative factors which are holding Islam from reaching the masses of the people in the West as well as in the East in the way that it should. And the first among those negative factors is the ignorance that remains due to the cultural practice of Islam in many areas. Back in Muslim countries, what is Islam in fact is folk Islam or cultural Islam. Much of the practices have nothing to do with the true teachings of Islam. And because of that, the image that is presented of Islam is quite incorrect, very superstitious, very backward. And this negative image which is projected is utilized by the media to further discourage people from being interested in Islam. We also find another factor, that of factionalism, where Muslims who are now conscious, seeking to promote Islam, get caught up in different factions, 
organization, groups, sects, movements. Movements, sects, movements, groups, etc. who, if they were truly about Islam, they would not represent a divisive role in the Muslim society. If they were truly those who support these movements, that if they were truly about Islam, then these movements would seek to work together. However, what we find are groups, sects, organizations, whose followers seek to promote the organization rather than promoting Islam. Islam is secondary. It's about joining my movement, or joining my organization, our organization. If you're not a part of our organization, then you're an enemy. I can't work with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. This kind of an attitude destroys the Islamic effort, takes away the blessing, the barakah, from that effort to convey the word of God, to practice and to live in accordance with the word of God. This is something which Muslims have to address seriously, to tackle, to remove. Furthermore, we have another factor, that of ill preparation of those who would seek to lead and to guide we have, in many cases, cases, the blind leading the blind. People without knowledge leading others. And this is a very dangerous situation. It's one of the signs the Prophet spoke of in the last days. That the ignorance will lead. Something we have to be aware of. To ensure that those who lead us are those, in fact, who have some knowledge and the last negative factor is that of the media distortion going on all around the world, whether within Muslim countries or outside Muslim countries. This media distortion, some of it is left over from the period of colonialism, some of it from an earlier period which has its roots in the Crusades. But as I said, some of it also is a result of Muslims giving a bad example of what Islam is. Not living in accordance with the teachings of Islam. So you find in many Muslim lands that women are ignorant. They are in fact oppressed. Islam is oppressed but ignorant Muslims they do. So ultimately, what we're saying is that Islam, it has a culture and it has an economic theory and it is a religion. All of this is combined together to create a system the like of which there is no other system. Islam alone has the answer 
for the problem facing man today. It is the religion of the future. And it is the religion of the present. And it was the religion which God sent with Adam to the earth for mankind. So, for our non-Muslim guests who are here, I invite you, we all invite you, to study Islam, look at it, see what it has to offer, and I am sure that if you look at it objectively, honestly, you will find whatever answer that you're seeking. If you're seeking the truth, the truth will answer. Not just whatever is pleasing to yourself. You want to know what is the truth, what is the best way to live, you will find it in Islam. And for us Muslims, we know that Islam is the right way. And we know that in fact it is the religion of the future. But unless we are able to establish that Islam within ourselves and within our communities, then that knowledge will not be of any benefit to us. In fact, that knowledge will be a curse. We will know what is right and we will be living what is wrong. And those who do that
do so. So for Islam to be that message, that way of life for the future of mankind, we ourselves have to live in accordance with Islam. We ourselves have to convey that message. Allah has protected the message, but it is our duty to convey it.